Welcome. Welcome listeners to Functionally Speaking, a podcast more adequate to the challenge of the human condition. I'm your host, DJ Moran, and I'm really glad that you are listening to this episode. After using ACT in the therapy room for over a decade, I started wanting to take the model to new environments where it can help reduce suffering and improve quality of living for folks. I mean, let's face it, the majority of people in the population do not go to therapy. And even if they did, only a fraction of the people in therapy come in contact with the ACT approach. So if what we do is worthwhile, I thought, we should bring it to other scenarios where people might benefit. That's primarily why I started using it as a safety and performance consulting model. Well... The guest who is joining me today did something similar. Lauren Parasoff and I will talk about how she blended the ACT materials into a junior high school environment. I admire what she's done, and I'm sure you'll be impressed with what she's doing too. Check it out. I'm talking to Lauren Parasoff, a member of the ACBS community who has created a unique approach for using ACT in educational settings. Welcome to the show, Lauren. Thanks. Yeah, happy, happy to be here. Yeah, happy you could join me. So tell me and the listeners a bit about where you work and what you do as a profession. So I teach at the Fieldston Middle School in Riverdale, New York, just outside the city. I've been here eight years. I've been teaching for 15. Um, And I also do some writing and consulting about curriculum design. Okay, neat. How did you learn about acceptance and commitment therapy? So my husband, Jonathan, is he was a student of Kelly Wilson at Ole Miss. Okay. And Jonathan and I, he he went to um, the uh, ACBS Worldcon down in D.C. a couple years ago. And at the time, our son was a little baby, so I wasn't actually registered at the conference. I was more just chasing Jason around while Jonathan went to workshops. Right. I actually remember meeting Jason and you at D.C. Right. Yeah. He was in a stroller and crawling around on the floor outside the conference rooms. And so Jonathan kept encouraging me to go to ACT workshops because he's like, you're really going to like this. And I was I was sort of at the time not interested at all because ACT was the thing that was taking Jonathan away from his (laughs) parental duties. Right, right. So so I was kind of, you know, unworkably fused with my own content about (laughs) being a mom. And so finally in the car on the way home. Um, Jonathan started talking about some of his experiences at Ole Miss and with Kelly, and it sort of moved us into ACT, and he started explaining the Hexaflex, and I was like, I don't get this, and so I bought Russ Harris's book, and that's what helped me understand it and really get interested in in using it. Very cool. Um, Yeah. Very cool. I've always felt like... um, like like getting students to think and write and talk about what genuinely matters to them has always been something I've tried to do in my English classes, and so that went really well with um, with the values and committed action pieces of ACT. Cool. That is quite an introduction. I mean, um, Jonathan went to school under the supervision of Kelly Wilson, and your first real foray into ACT was going to a conference 
and reading Russ Harris's books. That's that's cool, and that that's pretty remarkable that your students are benefiting from this. So I'm wondering, what are some of the ways that you've incorporated ACT into your curriculum? Um, so, so one of the um, units that we do in seventh grade English uses the book The House on Mango Street by Sandra Cisneros. Beautiful um, vignette collection where this girl starts out with a vision of success that's very much connected to the American dream and then realizes she doesn't have access to some of the things she wants and over the course of the book defines success for herself. Okay. And what we used to do with this book is just the students would read it and then they'd write their own vignette collection. And I used it as a way to teach about theme and how you can approach a broad, a broad theme from lots of different angles. And then when I started to read about ACT, what I realized was um, I could use values as a way to um, bring their vignette collections together. So we do some values clarification exercises as part of that unit, and then they choose one of their values that's important to them and write different vignettes um, where they think about that value from different angles. So if someone really values responsibility, they might write about um, taking responsibility for their schoolwork, taking responsibility for their younger sibling. They might write about a time when they acted irresponsibly okay. or a person who's responsible. So they use values as an entry point to this assignment, but then the assignment becomes a way for them to clarify their values for themselves. Nice. That's pretty remarkable that you're using it with that age group. Can you explain just a little bit uh, more about what age group is benefiting from this? So they're seventh graders. Okay. They're like 12, 13. Okay, right. Yeah. And you're actually also shaping up uh, perspective taking when you do this kind of exercise. In addition to values clarification, they're taking different perspectives, and I imagine um, they're also, when they're writing, talking about certain types of actions that people have to take if, let's say, they value responsibility. So I really think that the curriculum you're developing is probably going to help these young adults um, try to or begin to um, clarify their values, be able to take certain types of perspectives, and link certain actions, behaviors to both a new perspective and ability to take a perspective on things and their own values. That's, that's a remarkable uh, job that you're doing with the junior high there. Well, that's the goal. <laughs> right, right, right. Other ways that you've incorporated ACT into the curriculum? Um, well, one of my favorite units comes after the, the House on Mango Street, and that's a unit on activism. So the students choose different activist memoirs and then think about what it means to be an activist and what it takes to be an activist. And for that, um, I actually do a version of Passengers on the Bus, and it kind of blows the kids' minds because, you know, they're 12. So okay. when, when I say to them, like, this is the bus of your life, they're like, ooh, <laughs> like they think that's so deep. Cool. Um, but I get them to think about um, if they wanted to act against injustice, what would stand in their way and what are their passengers saying to them? And then can they keep driving the bus? in the direction um, of justice. And then, and then they look back in their memoirs and look for places where their activists struggled because it's always a struggle wow. um, and, uh, and think and, 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 and they get pretty inspired by the idea that you can, 
you can have these thoughts and yet continue to to take action. Wow. Lauren, this is very impressive that you're using it for something that's outside of the clinic and still going to be um, very skills building for folks who are, who are still young and in their development they're they're getting these kinds of messages i'm sure that's going to have a, a significant impact on the way they uh, they grow up that's that's really neat beyond the academic stuff that you do the academic curriculum how um, do you use act to talk about the chi the kids values and and how they can find vitality in school um, so that's actually something that's been really important in advisory. At my school, we have an advisory program. I guess it's kind of like homeroom, but um, there are about 11 kids who are assigned to me as their advisor. And I'm sort of their point person at school. I work with their parents to make sure they're having a successful year. And over the last couple of years, I've really started to notice all the ways that we as a school are constantly telling kids what they are supposed to be doing. And we don't very often ask 12 and 13 year olds to think about what's meaningful to them at school. And when this really crystallized was we were giving out their home reports where we, we don't just give them grades, we write like a narrative comment about the, how the kid is doing in class. And we usually do some kind of activity to get the kids to think about patterns, like what are all of your teachers pointing out and what are your goals, what do you want to do? And I wanted to sort of take a step back from goals and look at values. Okay. So we did this activity. Um, I started with food because it's middle school and it, it's always, they like to talk about food. Okay. So I had them think about the difference between like what's yummy and what's yucky and then what's healthy and what's junk. And so they were able to discriminate between something that something could be healthy, but it can taste bad, but they might still eat it or something can be junk food and it tastes good, but they might not want to eat it. Right. Wow. I so, like that. So I used that to segue into the difference between fun and meaningful. Okay. And what they noticed was that if something is genuinely meaningful, like if, if, if for a kid, baseball is, is very important to them, then even if it's usually fun, it's not always going to be fun. It's sometimes going to be work. Right. Wow. Okay. And from, yeah. And, and so, we, so that sort of opened up the topic of willingness. Cool. I like the way that you're doing it. I've always been uh, – struggling at times to figure out how can we get people who could benefit from acceptance commitment therapy ideas who won't come to therapy still embrace you know what we're doing and it sounds like you're doing it at a junior high level from a just a remarkable point of view i mean just the fact that you're talking about how something that they like to do let's say baseball they really have to kind of come to the realization that sometimes you're just going to have to go to practice and you're going to be out in left field and you're not going to really enjoy it but that's part of what you have to do in order to figure out the best way to do what you enjoy doing. And the same thing with food. Sometimes it's yucky, but it's good for you. It, I, I like the exactly. way that you're talking about that. It's, it's like an acceptance exercise. It's a values clarification exercise, a perspective exercise. It's, that's really neat the way you're doing it. And they, and they came to it themselves just by filling out the little charts. That was what was so cool is they noticed it without, without a whole lot of prompting from me. Okay. And they even said, um, 
like if something is meaningful, even if it's usually not fun, it might occasionally be kind of fun because because it has meaning. So so they were noticing um, this idea of vitality. They didn't call it that, but they were noticing it. Right. Yep. That's an important message because sometimes when you can link why you care about what you're doing, it can make doing the things that you don't like doing still important. You can actually exactly. sit out in left field and go, I might not be having a lot of fun now, but I am doing what I'm passionate about, what's meaningful and purposeful to me. And even a 13-year-old even a can say something like that. So I'm impressed at what you're doing with the junior high. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's really it's, – it's been a lot of fun and meaningful yeah. for me. Cool. Um, from, what we did from there was kind of cool too. We um, – I asked them to think about what makes class fun and then what makes class meaningful. So, like, what makes class fun, they said, well, the teacher's funny and we get to do activities that are fun and they bring food in for us and that's fun. So they were able to get the difference between that and class is meaningful when I get to develop relationships with my peers or class is meaningful when I learn about something that's going to affect me in my future. Yeah. And just like the teachers give them grades based on what's important to us, I ask them to give their classes grades based on how meaningful the class is to them. Wow, that's cool. And it was cool because some of the kids, it was interesting. They were like, well, I feel like I'm being mean because I really like this teacher, but I don't feel like her class is that meaningful to me. And I said, you know, when we give you grades, it's not based on how much we like you. It's based on how well you're acquiring skills that we think are important. Right, right. Good so, stuff. So that was kind of interesting for, for, for them to do. Good stuff. And what happens when, when some of your students aren't doing well in school and they get grades that they don't particularly like? They, it sounds like you just got done saying that you're trying to explain to them that there's no hard feelings. It's just about you and your performance meeting up a certain standard. So it's, uh, I would don't want to tear away at the relationship by giving you a bad grade. What's the other ways right. that you sometimes might help them deal with um, not getting the grades that they would have liked? I mean, I think the values piece really helps open up that conversation because instead of it being all about like, ooh, I got a C plus and now I feel bad about myself and I'm going to give up or I'm going to try harder, but I'm already trying, it becomes about um, how, how, how is this class meaningful to you and then what can you do? Like, I mean, the teacher's going to present whatever class they present, but that doesn't mean the student is powerless to make the class more meaningful. So I have this one student who hates Spanish. He hates it. Okay. And I said, listen, you said that it's important to you to develop relationships. So maybe you want to go meet with your Spanish teacher and try to develop a better relationship with her. And he's like, eh, I don't know. I don't like it. And I was like, right. It's not about liking it. It's about fulfilling your values. It becomes less about, the grade, which isn't great, but it becomes less about that and more about finding meaning at school. I really like your approach. Do other teachers also learn from your approach? Or are they also kind of embracing what you're doing? Um, I mean, my school, we have a lot of autonomy, so I'm lucky that I'm able to do this stuff. But 
I just sent out an email about there's going to be an ACT workshop in the city near where we are. So I'm kind of hoping some of my colleagues will come with me. Very cool. Good deal. Um, And I'm wondering, you know, since you're helping others with acceptance commitment therapy, I'm wondering if ACT helps you be a better teacher or how it helps you interact with your students more effectively. Yeah, it definitely has made a big difference. And that actually was was really the first way that I started using ACT at school was um, just using it myself. Um, this year there was a student who who I really cared about um, who ended up getting expelled because of something stupid that he did. But um, but it was really hard for me to, to, to watch that happen and not really have any power to do anything about it. And um, just being able to notice my feelings and be mindful of my actions, um, it, it really made a difference because what I wanted to do was just quit my job or crawl under the covers and call in sick <laughs> or just check out and understanding that those would not have been values congruent actions made a big difference in helping me get through that. Gotcha. And and then just sort of in a more day-to-day um, uh, context, I mean, being a teacher, I, I wrote a piece about this for Teaching Tolerance. Um, being a teacher carries with it all of these images in our culture of, like, sternness and like seriousness and like don't smile before november and and all of that that's a real rule that's what that's a real rule in the teaching culture don't smile before november oh yeah but you'll hear that (laughs) if you if you teach if you're a new teacher like somebody will say to you don't smile before november because then the kids won't take you seriously wow wow okay yeah (laughs) (laughs) okay so so there's all this imagery that comes along with, with, with being a teacher, like Charlie Brown, wah, 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 yeah. like the kids aren't supposed to really understand you. Right. Um, and so I wrote this piece about this student that I had last year who would come in. There was one day he came in. He never had his notebook. There was one day he came in with, like, a couple of pieces of paper stapled together and a green crayon that he was going to take notes on in English class. and. And, like, I just was, I just lost it. I was like, where's your notebook? And, (laughs) you know, just giving him a hard time about it. And what I wrote this article about was how my own fusion with the image of teacher can actually get in the way of teaching because what happens is I become this stern caricature of myself that the students can't actually authentically relate to and sometimes are afraid of. So, you know, how much learning is going to happen in that kind of atmosphere. Right. So, um, so I started, um, in my head singing, where's your notebook to the tune of Ode to Joy. Where's your notebook? Where's your notebook? Where's your notebook? Right. And it's like, I love singing as a diffusion tactic because, First of all, I don't have a very good singing voice, so I kind of laugh at myself. <laughs> okay. But it kind of helps take me out of those um, cool. those moments and back into myself. I like so. your. I definitely like your approach, Lauren. I'm wondering if you um, found yourself over a period of time after using and learning about ACT becoming more mindful of situations where you might not be living up to what you'd like to be doing, what you value doing as a teacher, like when you were giving this particular student who was using a green crayon and didn't have his notebook, 
I imagine certain scenarios like that happen throughout the school week. Has oh, yeah. Act, has ACT helped you become more mindful that this is a situation where I'm usually angry and might do something that's deleterious to the relationship with my student, so I uh, have to take a step back and just notice notice what I'm feeling right now. Has ACT helped you with that in any capacity? I, I would say it definitely has helped me notice those moments. Yeah. Um, it doesn't always help me change my behavior yeah. in those moments. Yep. Um, <laughs> so that's always the struggle. But yep. It's the struggle for everybody. Do, Let's be realistic about it. It's right. Nothing, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I still, you know, I'm very much get caught up in, in, in the teacher image and who I'm supposed to be versus who I want to be and, sure. um, and who's going to create the best learning environment for kids. But, but I definitely notice it more, and then I can – and then I can change what I do next, and I can decide, you know, what do I want the next thing out of my mouth to be? Right. You know, how do I want to be relating to this kid? Or, or you know, if I, if I call a kid out for, for doing something wrong, then I can notice that and say, okay, now I'm going to make sure that I call on that kid later in class so that they have a chance to be successful. So it definitely helps me notice. Good. I'm glad to hear that because that's what I'm mostly after when I'm doing the consultations. When I've, over the last several years, working with surgeons, corrections officers, people in um, safety uh, fields like in construction or oil fields or mines, what I'd like to use mindfulness training for is is to be aware of that moment at work where you have a choice and you usually have a uh, a tape a repertoire a habit where you would typically do something that might be problematic to what you really care about doing can we practice mindfulness or what i would usually use the term situational awareness can you be situationally aware because you're practicing this mindfulness repertoire on a regular basis that can make you a better worker a a better leader a a safer construction worker and a more effective teacher so it sounds like you're having that kind of relationship or response to uh the act model it's it's having an effect on you for sure cool yeah and i I mean i there's a lot of talk in the education world about mindfulness but it's more like Students have too much interaction with technology, so they need to use mindfulness to sort of recenter themselves and their bodies, or they get too stressed and they need to use mindfulness to de-stress. And I think it can serve those functions, but for me and what I'm trying to go for with my students and also myself is using mindfulness to teach in, in, in the way that I that I want to be teaching and the yeah. ways that I value and have students be just learning and, and writing and being the people that, that they want to be. That's excellent. I really uh, appreciate your perspective on it. I mean, yes, mindfulness can be for reducing stress, and if that's the effect that we're aiming for, so be it. But the fact that you're using it in, in a step beyond in a more sophisticated fashion actually have an impact on what you do and how you make choices, uh, I think that's remarkable. Yeah, good for you. I'm wondering. Good. Yeah, good. yeah. I'm I'm wondering if uh, you use anything particular from the ACT community in order to help you with curriculum design. So that was actually um, 
when 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 I went with Jonathan down to the um, ACBS Worldcon, I was kind of at this crossroads career-wise. I was beginning to do work on curriculum design. It's always been something I've been interested in, but there are a lot of curriculum design consultants out there, and I didn't really know what my thing, what my contribution was going to be. And as I started to talk more and more with Jonathan about values and to read about values, what I realized is that anytime you create a curriculum for school, you're making decisions about what is and isn't important for students to learn. And that's always going to be a values-based decision. So what I started to do with teachers is help them clarify their own values as teachers and their own values within the context of any unit of study wow. so that when they're designing curriculum, they are designing values congruent curriculum. They're thinking about what it is they're trying to accomplish and then designing a course of study that's going to get their students to that valued place. That's awesome. That is awesome. I imagine that's going to be significantly impactful on not only the performance of the teacher, but also it's going to have a significant impact on the students. Oh, that's really cool. That's very cool. What's next for you? So now what I've been thinking about is ACT stands for Acceptance and Commitment Therapy. And I think possibly one of the reasons I've had trouble getting my colleagues interested in it is the word therapy. Because they're like, well, teaching isn't therapy and we're not psychologists. And I know Jonathan sometimes says it's also called acceptance and commitment training. Right. Um, but I was thinking, what if the T stood for teaching? Or what, what, would, what would it be like to be an acceptance and commitment teacher? Yeah. Um, so now that I've been thinking about uh, act-based curriculum or values-based curriculum, I'm wondering what would an act-based pedagogy look like? What would it look like to be a teacher who – both uses and teaches acceptance and diffusion and values and committed action so that class could be a place that brings meaning and vitality to the lives of students. And this is sort of like nebulous right now. I'm not really sure where I'm going with it, but that's what I've been thinking about. Well, I wish you the best with this. This is really uh, a remarkable use. Um, I've been – working with acceptance commitment therapy for over 20 years and I've never really talked to anybody who's used it specifically in education in the educational scenario yes I've heard you know college professors and using it in grad school but you're actually bringing it to junior high and you're having an effect on um, the curriculum and you're having an effect on other teachers and how they build uh, curricula and you're also having an effect on the students, you're blending it right into what gets taught. I, I find this just really remarkable, and uh, I'm glad, Lauren, that you're doing this kind of stuff. I, I hope that what you publish and what you put together uh, gets absorbed uh, throughout your school district, and then I really hope you keep publishing it and uh, more people gravitate towards uh, what you're doing. It's it's very impressive. Oh, thanks. I, I hope so, too. Yeah. I appreciate you joining me today, um, and I will look forward to your uh, future publications, and I'd like to get updates uh, in the future on how it's going at your school district. You willing to do that? I'm definitely willing to do that. Cool. Thanks so much for joining me, Lauren. Thank you for having me. 
Lauren is obviously a remarkable person using ACT in an extraordinary way. I like to see ACT stretching into new situations. And it's been my experience that people respond well to the ACT concepts when I work outside of the therapy room. Um, Just like Lauren, taking it to the classrooms, I often blend it into leadership training and safety consultations. And I recall the very first time I ever did something outside of a university classroom or outside my therapy clinic with the ACT model was at a company's safety meeting. They gave me a few hours to see if I could help their organization improve their safety performance. So I developed a curriculum to help the workers that I based on an ACT model. Uh, Of course, I made the presentation very colloquial and uh, hopefully entertaining. And when I got the evaluations back at the end, I had a Likert scale item that said, I can apply what I learned today to my life. And with five being the highest score, and with about 40 people in the room, uh, with an average education, according to the demographics, of about 10 and a half years education, the mean score was 4.3. So people seemed to dig it and find it applicable. Uh, I was asked back to that company to do Act for Safety 2.0. They came up with the title before I even had a curriculum put together. That's how much they wanted more. And when I came back, uh, the guys were actually saying to me, you know, during the lunchtime and during the breaks, they were saying stuff like, hey, that stuff you uh, said about being in the moment, well, that's actually helping me become a better parent. And that acceptance stuff you talked about, someone else said, um, that's helping me with my 12-step program that I'm in. So it was cool to hear different people's way of resonating with the ACT model. Um, One of the other Um, really cool things that happened on the first day of doing that act for safety, the first time that uh, I ever did it, um, had a guy start engaging me in a uh, post-workshop conversation. Uh, His nickname was Ox. And he came up to me when when he had a couple of minutes, and he said, uh, looked me right in the eye, and he said, hey, man, nobody talks to us guys like that. And... From my point of view, a guy, I grew up in uh, Queens, uh, New York, in the New York City area. When someone says something like that, it sounds like I've offended that person. Hey, nobody talks to guys like us like that. And I said, well, I, I didn't intend to offend anybody. I was just trying to be helpful. And he goes, no, no, nobody talks to us guys like that. And I, I, I want to talk to you a little bit more. Can you just step outside? Now, hey, when someone says to a guy, especially like me, Grew up in New York City area. Can you step outside? It sounds like he wants to fight me. So I was a little provoked. I I, I didn't know what I might have done to offend this guy. But, you know, I walked out behind him. And while we're standing in the hallway, right outside that plenary room, the guy says, yeah, man, nobody talks to guys like us that way. And I appreciate that you did. We were here for what we thought was a safety training, but that wasn't like any other safety training I've ever had, and I've had hundreds of them. Nobody talks to guys like us like that. We don't get asked about our values, about why we work and what we care about. And I had done a values clarification exercise with the group. And he said, you know, we're just a bunch of grunts. We're told to produce and do it safely. But you made this personal, truly personal. And the fact that this guy, Ox, who had like 
arms that were the size of my legs and was wearing these, you know, Harley Davidson shirt with a Fu Manchu, you know, mustache on his face, a real intimidating guy saying that, you know, I appreciate the fact that I'm having an opportunity to clarify my values. That first experience for me doing act outside of the therapy room, outside of the university, that's what made me say, I want to keep doing more of this. I think that the ACT material as an applied behavioral science has only caught a glimpse of just how far it could potentially go. So thanks for joining me on Functionally Speaking. Follow me on Twitter at drdjmoran, that's at Dr. DJ Moran, or send me an email if you have suggestions for the show or certain stories that you have about how you've spread the ACT message. I'd really like to hear them, and I'm sure lots of other people would too. Until next time.